0: Portions of this program are pre-recorded. It's I on Real Estate on AM nine seventy. The answer.
1: Oh. Um, so we're back with the second half of I on Real Estate. Of course, I am with Stephen Ebert, who is a partner and partner at the Casson Cassin, and he is a real estate guru, expert legally. And there's some topics that I think are really important and we should talk about. And one of the big controversies that are going on right now is the gas stove fight, okay, uh, about trying to ban gas. Stephen, could you talk about that and what's going on with this whole
2: Yeah, absolutely. This whole controversy thing about gas
1: and getting rid of the banning gas stoves or whatever they're trying to do, I'm not exactly sure.
2: Sure, absolutely. Well, this controversy, if I may say, has been cooking for years. And it started actually with New York State and Con Ed and expanding the gas network, right? So if we take a step back for a second, is when you get gas, you have to have some pipeline network to pass the gas along to get to the homes and the buildings, et cetera. And so a few years ago, there was a, a this was in the news because there were some new homes and other developments being built, and Con Ed said, "Sorry, we can't add you to the gas network." Because what happened is New York started putting the squeeze on Con Ed in limiting how much they could expand the network to provide natural gas. Right, so we got to turn back that clock a few years. This already why, was on the radar.
1: Why would they do that? Why would they, like what benefit, What what was the benefit well, of New York do that, you know?
2: Well, let, let me. I'm going to answer two ways. One, the direct question what's the benefit? I, 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 I disagree with what they're trying to do. So I want everyone to know that sort of the opinion side and the fact side. On the opinion side, I don't think it's a smart move. Um, New Yorkers actually, um, you know, probably about 40% of the country in residences use natural gas. Natural gas is cleaner than coal, cleaner than oil. Um, cleaner than a lot of things is it cleaner than electric? Well, it depends, right? Electricity itself is cleaner than natural gas. And that's where they want to push everyone towards, but that doesn't really answer the question because the question you gotta ask is how is that electricity produced, right? So now we're getting into this debate, um, of really the balance of green initiatives and the readiness of the economy and the cost. And also consumer choice and preference, right? That's what this is really all about It in the mix. So what happened was New York was trying to push one way. Um, Eventually that got sorted out, and some of those new homes were able to have gas hookups. And now they're talking about one timeline with new construction um, and then another timing just selling the product, uh, basically saying we're going to put a moratorium on having natural gas as the energy choice for your kitchens in the coming years. And the reason I say the coming years is it's not a hundred percent finalized, but one version is as soon as and again I want to be clear, this is for new items, not for people who have it already. But as so soon if you as you already
1: have it, you would be grandpa, basically.
2: Correct, yes. So at the moment, let me let me start where we are. I want to be clear. Nobody should feel like someone's coming in and saying, take out your oven and replace it, right? That that's not what's going on today. Although Over time, we might be in that situation a little bit, but no one's doing that. What they're talking about is saying a new construction, possibly as soon as two years from now, no more new natural gas. Now, then they're talking about certain, you know, phase-outs, ability to get replacements, right? At a certain point, even if you're allowed to have something, if you can't get access to replacement parts eventually, you have to go off that standard. Right. So, and also, gas gas prices could also be manipulated, modified over time. So this is a big issue. Now, a couple things people I think need to keep in mind: switching from gas to electric is not cost-free. Number one, you have different pots and pans, right? Some people like electric, some like induction electric, some like gas. Well, not all pans work, so you're going to put a cost on the consumer. If you force the switch, on top, of course, you need a different appliance, right? Now, the other thing with this is, again, can the electric grid handle it? Well, that's a big concern that I have, because you need to have available, consistent, reliable, and well-priced energy to keep the economy going. Well, we last year shut down Indian Point, which is the nuclear reactor, um, right over on the Hudson, and... You know, it's fine if there's a policy to make switches. You know, I, you know, this is not an energy show. I'll leave it to the experts on that. But simple math, Indian Point provided about 25% of the power in the lower Hudson Valley into the city. Well, if you're reducing electric generation and eventually you're forcing people to use more electric, right, by switching from gas to electric. Right. The big question is, what is the state doing to prepare the infrastructure? Because, I don't know about you, but I've lived in storms in the Northeast, and sometimes the power goes out, right? Oh, happens well, when to the me. Power, when the power goes out, the electric goes out, but guess what? The natural gas still turns on, because those are pipes in the ground, and the gas just flows. So there's a real thing that, that they really need to consider, both cost and supply and consistency of energy. Environmental use is absolutely important but it's one factor it cannot be the sole factor you know and, and also people should have choice so part of the discussion right now you saw a lot of tourists talking about and, and we're talking about restaurants um about miami in the first hour and everything well right guess, guess what to cook on a gas range versus cooking on electric the times are different the flavors are different the recipes are different so a lot of chefs were really up in arm and rightfully so to say wait a minute." If you require this, then you're going to really hit the restaurant business because it's going to take me double the amount of time to cook entrees. You know, you go to a steakhouse, they're not throwing the filet mignon on an electric rings that you buy in the appliance store. That's not how they're cooking no. it. So, well, you that's know, another I issue to work both. out.
1: I had electric, which I didn't like. I I changed everything to gas, which I find a lot easier. But I am reading... Correct me if I'm wrong. It says, on the federal level, the supposed reason the Consumer Product Safety Commission is looking to outlaw stoves now, used in more than 40% of U.S. homes, is a claim that they cause asthma in kids. And then it says, except they don't. Um, I don't know. I'm not an expert well, on either. Let me, but says,
2: a, let me ask a question here. A- and and I, have, I have three kids. But how many meals do your kids cook for you?
1: Not many. <laughs> I mean,
2: not many. So, 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 I'm just saying. First of all, before we even get into that, for a second, you got kids. there are in school. They come home. They're hopefully doing homework, but they might be on their tablet in their rooms, and you're downstairs in the kitchen cooking. Really? You think? Just think about this for a second. You think that little gas burner. Which, by the way, they're using burners in science class. That's okay, right? They're taking chemistry and they have a Bunsen burner. That's okay, right? They, they, you think you're cooking them a meal and they're 1,500 feet away in their room doing their work? You think that's causing asthma? I, I, well, I don't think I, so. The, the science I don't think behind so.
1: that. They're,
2: they're, and I'm sorry, I mean they're, they're rhetorically. They're yeah.
1: To say that. Uh, that but the, then I, I read that, that the science is clear. There is no evidence. Of an association between the use of gas as a cooking fuel and either asthma symptoms or asthma diagnosis in a multi study tracking more than a half a million kids around the world. So they're saying that it's really not even true. And it's really about an anti carbon agenda
2: that is not really science based. And I always say look at the source. If you told me the American Academy of Pediatrics, Came out with that study, I would take a close look. But they didn't. Pediatricians that cannot come out with this. The American Medical Association that comes out with this. This was a study by a, an outfit called the Rocky Mountain Institute, which is a public policy institute, not a science research. It's not a university. It's not an academic center, um, and they were very much in favor of pushing green initiatives okay, fine, they're entitled to their opinion if they want to push more green initiatives. That's their right to have that opinion. But don't throw pseudoscience to justify it. Um, I don't think there's any real science, as you rightly said. I don't think there's any real science. It's people who want to have this result who are trying to backfill a justification for it. Um, I, I think, look, if you want to have a conversation, here's the fact. If you have electric next to gas burning is electric cleaner. At that point, at that location, yes, it is cleaner. However, you have in America some electric coming from a clean source, like nuclear, like hydroelectric, like some of those wind turbines, but some of it's coming from burning gas and oil and coal. And so people see the end product, right? When you go like when you go to a steakhouse again, you see that wonderful steak right on your plate. It, it's not born that way right? It's got to be, you got to go to the farm, you got to go to the butcher, you got to bring it over, you got to cook it. It's not just the steak on the plate. If you look at your electric range, it's not like, oh, look, magically, here, my pot heated up, uh, uh," you know, and 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 there's no gas. Well, no, there's a whole story behind the generation of that electric. And that's not the part that's being told. Now, it's interesting, and we talked earlier about states versus federal having states to have that laboratory and see which is a better result. You know, New York is further along. There is a discussion on the federal level, and it made the news. And, you know, and President Biden said, look, we're not, no one's taking away anybody's rights." So on the federal level, there's conversations. It's much further behind than where New York state is. So we also want to be very clear what could be a state law versus a federal law.
1: But is it true that, first of all, I believe gas stoves are far superior to then electric stoves because I think they're harder to cook on, they're harder to estimate and regulate. But also that gas is the cheapest induction, it's is, is the cheapest cost. And it says that no matter, you know, no matter what, that it if you do electric, it could drive heating costs alone as much as almost fifteen hundred dollars a year like in cost to the consumer, that it would even be more
2: expensive. 100%. I mean, again, first of all, how's the grid doing, right? We want to push everyone to electric cars. Well, remember, we have a diversified energy sector. If all of a sudden the energy sector says, you know, we know what we're using on electric we know we're using gasoline at gas stations. We know we're using a natural gas. If you push everyone to electric all at the same time, did we really upgrade our electric grid and our generation capability to actually compensate for that demand? And what is the cost to upgrading and hardening that grid as well? Because we have to understand something. We have electric lines that are above ground when there's a storm. You see the utility companies come in and fix the electric line. There yeah, are the other risks. Down. Absolutely.
1: And then you can't do anything. So the same thing, what would happen with a car? I mean, if you had an electrical storm and you know when the po- when the poles are down and you have no electricity, you can't do anything, what would happen with your car? Would this? You know, despite the fact that they would – they don't have enough electric, you know, places to fill your car up with, the, well, you wouldn't fill your car up with electricity, but they don't even have
2: the wherewithal
1: to provide it.
2: Yeah, and then, Dottie, he, but here's what they're saying to counter that point. They're saying, well, we'll let people have generators. Okay, fine. To put in a generator, yes. even a small one that rolls out, you're going to pay a couple of thousand dollars to wire it into your grid, right, because you got to wire it safely to your circuit breaker, or if you want to have a whole house generator that turns on, you're, you're probably talking ten thousand dollars. And then what does it burn? It burns gasoline. Use oil. That's the backup. Yeah. Now, granted, you could say the backup is not as on, on as often. But how many people can afford to spend, you know, anywhere from a couple of thousand to ten thousand, to have that backup? And what about people who have medical device needs, right? Um, h- how are we protecting them? I mean, you know, oh, that part I of the conversation, yeah, it's really being, you know, it's, it's, it's being ignored. Um, and I think we need to be careful. Yes, let's get better technology. Sure, let's be cleaner. But we, we need to really think about the full package of cost. What about if there's a winter storm on power for a couple of days? Where's the heat? Right. I mean, I remember when we had Sandy, we were out of power for a week. The house temperature over time starts getting very, very cold, and it becomes unlivable. Um, it's real questions that need to be, you know, to be discussed before we we take that big leap.
1: So, do you think they're getting a little ahead of the, you know, like a little ahead of things? Like they should have a plan first, or they should have something. I mean, you know, these are great thoughts, and you know, what I worry about, Stephen, is that. Some people or most people, you know, you listen to a little bit of something and you don't really hear all of it or you don't pay attention to all of it and, or they don't tell you all of it. They they will tell you what they're trying to sell, but they're not telling you the other part of it, the downside. And so I think we want all of our listeners to know both sides of it because it's not a simple thing. I can tell you that I was like you in the storm, the, the last storm that we had. I was out for two weeks. Okay, and then I tried to get, you know, they had these places you could go to. I actually opened up some of our real estate offices that had electricity so that that didn't go out so that people could charge their phones. But I was out for over two weeks, and it was cold. Okay, and, way, you know.
2: I'm going to throw you one more thing get out there. into a
1: hotel or anything. They were all booked.
2: They're all booked, and I'll throw something else out there, Dottie. If I was at an insurance company and gas was gone, I would increase insurance premiums in the Northeast. Here's why. What happens when you have the power outage in the winter and you can't turn the heat on? That house gets cold, right? The house gets cold. Um, Pipes are going to freeze. Water damage. You're going to have frozen pipes and you're going to have people with with all sorts of pipe leaks. And water damage in their home. If you can't heat the house.
1: That's so true. But I'm reading that... um, That there are bans on new gas hookups in place in New York already and some other places in the country Um, so you know I'm just wondering who who comes up with all this stuff without doing their real homework
2: we got to remember we're in the process right so think about this Dottie. you have the production and then you have basically you have the network where the gas is And then what happened is you sort of have that, quote-unquote, last mile or so, right? So you could build, you could have the network, and they could say, for that new house that you're building on that new lot over there, that vacant lot, we're not letting that house hook up into the network, right? So that's been the issue. When we started this segment, that's where I started. Con Ed and the state was having the fight, and the consumers were in this fight. A few years ago, when some new construction was being built and Con Ed said, we're not going to let you hook up to the existing grid. So back then it wasn't, oh, you can't ready your house for natural gas. You can't buy an, an appliance. That wasn't the issue. Where they got you, where the problem was, the last that last quote-unquote mile connection between the house and the grid itself, um, which at that point got resolved. So, so, Dottie, we need to be very careful here also. There's a lot of different ways in which the problem can arise. We can say... Government can say we're not going to let new homes hook up. Government's going to say we're not going to let appliances be sold. We're going to change the regulation of the gas companies and the utilities, right? There's a lot of different ways in which they can approach and regulate this. And I think first and foremost, as always, we want to educate our listeners, make sure they're aware. Also want to make sure we got to be careful from what's being discussed versus actual law. So this is still in the discussion phase, well, but it right. but it's very very real. This is posted. very very real. This is not just maybe one day, decades from now. This is really on the agenda.
1: But Stephen, quickly after the break, uh, you know, because then we have uh, our guest Stephen Chadley coming on. But I wanted to talk a little just before the, you know, right after the break, about the lawsuit, you know, with Safe Farm, Fannie May. If you could give us a little brief summary about what's going on there I I think it's important for people to know so we're going to be right back we're going to finish up with Stephen Ebert and and then we'll have Stephen Shadley who's the architectural interior design for the start
0: Portions of Eye on Real Estate, sponsored by Hemp Leaf. We won't
3: put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. Happy 2023. And I want to thank all of you who have been listening to the Arthur Idala Power Hour every night at 6 p.m. here on AM 970. The answer. It wouldn't be the hit that it is without you tuning in every day. We work hard to bring you a different slant on the news day after day, and we try to make it entertaining, informative, provocative. We have Sam Bellino, we have Joni, we have Alex. We try to keep it fun, but in an environment where you will learn. Sometimes you might even hear some new breaking legal news before anyone else. If you haven't tuned in before, please give us a listen in the new year. We broadcast every night, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m., right after the great John Katsumit TDs. Folks, God bless you, God bless our country and God bless New York City, the greatest city in the world.
1: Listen, I just discovered a new line of skincare products that I must tell you about. You know, I have tried so many products that have been on the market for many years that are new to the market. I've tried everything. I'm a skincare buff. So that's why I'm so excited about and um, first of all, there is nothing in this stuff that I couldn't eat if I wanted to, not that I'm looking to eat it, um, but it's that natural. I tried the Vanilla Passion skin cream first. The scent is soft and not overwhelming, but the feel on my skin, well, that was just delicious. It's not at all greasy. It absorbs quickly, and I feel my skin perking up immediately. The black soap, while it might look less than inviting, was the most amazing surprise. It was smooth and creamy and made my skin feel so hydrated and luscious. I just loved it. I'm really looking forward to trying the rest of the product line and sharing my thoughts with you. To purchase this amazing product, go to com. That's www H E M P L I E F dot com.
0: Searching for fun ways to spend your tax return? Boats for cats. Oh, flotation devices for cats. Don't waste it all on something silly. Spend smarter with Straight Talk. Get our Silver Unlimited plan for $45 a month with unlimited high-speed data and 5 gigs of hotspot data on the nation's largest, most dependable networks with nationwide 5G. If you're looking to get the most out of your refund, your search ends here. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. See terms and conditions at straighttalk.com. Hyperlabs DBA HyperScience seeks senior machine learning engineers in New York, New York to apply the latest cutting-edge advancements in AI-slash-ML research to create technologies for automating business processes from end-to-end. Salary two hundred and ten dollars to $290,000 per year. Telecommuting is available. Email resume to HyperScience subject reference SMLE1222 to garth.taylor at hyperscience.com. Continuing with ION Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information, here's the host of ION Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
1: We're back. You're listening to ION Real Estate. We're going to finish up with Stephen Ebert and, you know, with this lawsuit. And then I am going to be thrilled to have Stephen Shagley, who is the architectural and interior designer to the stars. And I'm a big admirer of Steve and I share his cinematic vision which is to bring a sense of narrative and drama to his work, whether it's architectural or an architectural project or an interior design creation. The common thread is his ability to listen, absorb and to create. And he has been named to the AD 100 since its inception in 1990 and has appeared in Architectural Digest, Deans of Design, just everywhere. He's just one, I'm one of his biggest fans, and he'll be with us as soon as uh, we're done. I just wanted to Stephen to finish up. Stephen, you're you were telling us about a lawsuit. Uh,
2: yeah, very interesting lawsuit in Pennsylvania, Dottie. Um, so what happened was um, State Farm actually sued Fannie Mae over property. So let me take it a step back. What happened? Um, so what so what happened was there was a homeowner uh, who was delinquent on their loan. And they went into foreclosure, and the bank did foreclose on the property. And so what happened was the property was actually damaged, and Fannie Mae went to State Farm, who was the insurance carrier, and said, "Well, pay up. You're, you're, you know, you have the we have the property and casualty policy with you, and you should pay for the damage." And they said, "No, we're not going to pay." Now, why would the insurance carrier not uh, make that payment? Okay because uh-huh. because they said that Fannie Mae was negligent in how they maintained the property, and the reason that the property got damaged was the failure of Fannie Mae to maintain the property, and it's a very you know it's a very good argument, and, and I mention this because you know during Covid, people did a lot of things. they walked away from properties, they're not there as often, they didn't travel as much. And I think it's a great lesson for the consumer to say, well, wait a minute. If I'm getting a policy that says it's my primary residence but I t- you know, for my co-op or condo, but I moved out to the Hamptons or to Florida for two years, and you're not there on a regular basis and something happened, you might have an issue of your policy paying in the event of damage because if you're primary residence, you're using the home. And using the home is important. The water is running You see if there's a leak. You can tell if there's an improper, you know, smell or something breaks or maybe a risk for a fire or something like that. You're there. uh, and, And actually using the home helps maintain the home, right? And so you want to be very careful that you have the right insurance product that you properly identify the property as your primary residence, your second home or vacation home, or an investment property, and you have the right kind of insurance coverage accordingly because the premiums might be different, how that interacts with your other policies, right? You know, you might have a, what we call yeah. a personal article property uh, policy or your, how it interacts with your umbrella. So be very careful and understand that not all policies are the same, Make sure to just not get a cool app, buy your insurance on the app, and not really read the fine print and understand what those deductibles are, the type of property, because you could have some risk that you thought you were covered on.
1: Well, Stephen, thank you so much. That's so informative, and I'd love to continue talking about that, maybe next week or the week after, and enjoy your weekend. It was great to have you on the show. As always, you really are so informative, and I thank you for taking such time to keep us all informed have a great pleasure
2: my pleasure have a great holiday weekend take care everyone
1: thanks okay and Stephen sadly Sadly. the architectural and interior design to the stars uh and i am a big fan and admirer of steve and i think that his work is unbelievable and his vision which is to bring a sense of narrative and drama to his work whether it's architectural project or an interior design creation and um, he's on the show, and i love to i'm so glad you're thank you for being here I'm so glad to have you on i'm a big fan of yours
4: <laughs> well thank you so much Dottie, for having me it's uh, It's an honor to be uh, on your show
1: yeah well listen I'd love to hear from you what are you seeing in designs what are you seeing what are you what are you seeing in architecture what are you seeing in the future of of what's going on and and how how uh, Architecture's changing, and what trends do you see?
4: Well, I, you know it's interesting because I've been doing this a long time, and I, I feel like when I started doing this work and and before I started doing this work, there were very sort of set sort of design trends that were that were you know kind of everyone subscribed to and And fashion in those days was very much the same and And it just seems like today, there's an opportunity to be, you know, very fluid with everything that you do. Um It, in terms of how you live, what uh, what sort of style you like to live by, or how you dress. So I, I feel like the great thing today is that there are no rules anymore, or no uh, kind of prescriptions for how you how you go about this.
1: That's really good. I think that's great. I think that's great that. People can live and be in whatever they're comfortable in. Now Stephen, you, you you wrote uh designing Hollywood homes. You wrote you you wrote a book and that's available from Rizzoli, New York. And mm-hmm. uh you're on, on shows, uh now you live we do you live in the Cascals or did you live in the Cassials?
4: I, I do. I, um, you know, I have an office in New York, and and I'm there through the week, and then you know for longer and longer weekends as the years go by, I've I've come up to the Catskills. It's uh, about 120 miles north of New York, you near know, the town of Hudson, along the Hudson River, uh, and in the town of Catskill, and I've been up here since the late 80s, uh, you know, with a, a second home. Um, I I lived in one home uh, up until I think around 2012 and I knew of this property uh, nearby where a a home had been built in 1913 by these English sisters and it was on the side of a mountain overlooking the Catskills. Uh, The house had burned in the 1970s and I I used to come up to the property and and uh, I knew the owners and I just said to the person who owned it at the time if you ever for any reason because it was a ruin there was nothing here except the most extraordinary view and the stone foundation I said if you ever think you know you, you might be interested in selling would you call me first and uh, she did and I bought it and um, so I, you know, they used to call it the castle, <laughs> this sort of wow. tutor, English tutoresque kind of, uh, structure. They featured it, um, a little over a year ago in architectural digest on their online, uh, features, but, uh, what a place to spend the pandemic. Oh my gosh. You know, cause I, I you know, I built it. It's the first thing that I've built for myself, you know, I've, I've renovated homes, Lived lots of places in my life, but this was the first one that was, you know, like living in your own creation.
1: So, if you had to be on lockdown during the pandemic, that there's no better place to be than in something that you designed and that you made.
4: Oh yeah, no, I'd, 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 I mean it's 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 large, actually you know in the winter you you sometimes spend an entire day indoors if you don't get in your car and go somewhere and. It's just this amazing, I have an office, you know, it, it has a tower. It has a, it's on four levels. Um, you know, it's not, it's not huge, but it's really, really sort of interesting and has lots of little places to kind of light and enjoy the views, which are spectacular looking out the windows. It's just the entire range of the Catskill mountains. So on my Instagram, I'm always posting, um, the sky. I mean, it's just, I see these mountains and clouds coming over and sunrises and sunsets and it's extraordinary.
1: Now you have a host of high profile clients like Jennifer Aniston, uh, the late Mm. Robert Altman, Woody Allen, I mean, Matthew Modine. And I, and I hear that you're currently designing a Los Angeles home for the writer director producer, Ryan Murphy. Yes. Like how does this all, I mean, Obviously, you're that talented. But how did you start getting? How did this all happen for you? You know, you're from California. How did? How did you really get into this? And how did you? You became like the architect of the stars.
4: Quite and accidentally, by happen. the way. <laughs> I never, I never intended to do interiors work. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I was born in the Midwest, but essentially grew up in Southern California. And I, uh, I went to work as this, I, I'd studied art all my life. I went to work as a scenic artist, painting backdrops in, uh, in, the, in the studios. I, I worked at 20th Century Fox and all over. And ultimately, I was on the road with a Disney show for a number of years uh, as a scenic artist. And it, uh, you know, it just sort of grew from there. I, I had friends who were mm-hmm. actors early on. Yes.
1: Can you hold that thoughts? We have a quick break, and I'd love you to finish this story. It's really interesting, and we want to hear about how you got. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Okay, in one moment, after a quick commercial break.
5: My Pillow is having their biggest bed sheet sale ever. The My Pillow percale sheets are available in a variety of colors and all sizes. Now on sale, for example, the queen size regular price 89.98 now only 39.98 with your promo code. Order now as there is a very limited supply. The My Pillow percale sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They have deep pockets to fit over any mattress. The My Pillow percale sheets come with a 10-year warranty and a six- 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use promo code AM970 to receive the MyPillow per kale sheets for as low as twenty nine ninety eight. dollars Order now, because when they're gone, they're gone. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970. That's 800-651-0798. 800-651-0798. Use the promo code AM970.
1: Listen, I just discovered a new line of skincare products that I have to tell you about. I have tried so many products in my life that have been on the market, that are new to the market. You name it, I've tried it. So that's why I am totally so excited about hemp leaf. First of all, there is nothing in this stuff that I could need if I wanted to. It's that natural. I tried the Vanilla Passion, which I love the smell. Um, I tried that skin cream first, and the scent was wonderful. It was soft, but not overbearing. You don't want anything overbearing, but it had a beautiful, soft, nice smell to it. The feel on my skin was absolutely delicious. It's not at all greasy. It it absorbs into your skin very easily right away, and it just feels luscious. Uh, My skin perked up and looked plump. And fresh immediately Uh, their black soap well I don't know if you like black soap but whether you like looking at it or not and it it was amazing and it was amazing surprise to me it was smooth and creamy and made my skin feel so hydrated I just loved it I'm really looking forward to trying the rest of the product line and sharing my thoughts with you so if you'd like to purchase like I did this amazing product go to www.hempleaf.com that's www.hemp and let me spell this for you h e m p l i e f .com i think you're going to love it as much as i do let me know okay and now we're going to be back um
5: I always wanted to learn Spanish, but I never thought I'd have the time. Then I discovered Babbel.
1: Babbel's lessons are fun. They only take like 10 or 15 minutes, and in three weeks, presto, you're starting to speak another language, like magic.
5: I love that Babbel's lessons aren't just robots talking. They're voiced by native speakers, so you get the pronunciation just right. If you want to learn a language, there's no faster, easier, better way than Babbel. Babbel.
1: Babbel. Go to Babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Babbel.com marketing your business is hard it's so competitive and getting new customers is as hard as keeping your existing ones we know it because we're a local business too so when it comes to marketing your business and getting new customers we know how to do it our digital marketing firm Salem surround is built to create customized solutions to your business not your competitors just you reach out to us at SalemSurround.com and we'll work with you to create those solutions that will increase your business and bring you new customers SalemSurround.com.
0: Continuing with Ion Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Ion Real Estate, the Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
1: Back, we're back in Ion Real Estate, and this is Dottie Herman, and I'm talking to Stephen Shadley, who I am a big fan of. I share his cinematic vision, which is to bring a sense of narrative and drama to his work. And we're talking about architectural projects. And, Stephen, you were saying that anything goes now. Like, whatever you like is what you'll build. There's no specific trend that's pre-universal.
4: Yeah, and I I think that, you know, since I've had the, you know, good fortune to work with a lot of very creative people, you know, in their own right... um, I, I, I feel like the narrative is really their narrative and I'm really helping them to sort of, you know, um, you know, sort of get there as, as it were. Um, so it, it, everybody has their own interests, their own tastes. And I feel like, and, and especially when you're, you know, purchasing or renovating, um, older homes, you know the, there's so much to sort of consider in terms of the style of that home like in California so many Spanish colonial places that were built in the 1930s and 40s you know are just they need renovation to be lived in in a more modern way but you want to be true to the roots of that sort of architecture and and many were designed by you know very well known famous architects um the first house i did for Jennifer Aniston was Designed by Hal Levitt, who did all of these estates in Truesdale, which is sort of part of Beverly Hills. And it was a very modernist style. And I, I feel like maybe my, you know, my, my, um, my talent is that I can adapt to so many different styles of architecture and, and design that, um, and still bring this sort of spare, slightly pared down um, quality to that work. Well, that that certainly is a challenge
1: because (laughs) some people you work with have a set, you know, a set kind of look that they like and they kind of stick with that. So you're very versatile and you listen to your clients and hear what they want and and work with that and are flexible that way. So that's great. Tell me, you were starting to tell us before the break how you got into it, and what's it like working with all these great famous people.
4: Well, yeah, you know, I was going way back when I when I worked in the uh, Hollywood studios as a scenic artist. But I I'd gone to high school with a a guy who became an actor right out of school and and did some films in the, in the, those days and. Um, and he had a neighbor, he lived at Malibu in a little place on the beach in Malibu. And his neighbor was this actor, Michael Murphy, who was just getting started. And I remember going down to visit them. And one day Bob Altman came down because Mike Murphy was working on a film with him. And I remember getting stoned on the beach with, with my friend, Tom and Mike and Bob Altman. And then I was, but I was also working at 20th Century Fox, and I, I ended up um, going. That's where they filmed the, the, you know, the film MASH, uh, the the parts that were filmed in studio. So I remember looking up Mike on that uh, on that lot when I was working, and it just it it was magical to me. Everything about the movies has always just sort of captured. My imagination, um, you know, I wanted to be an animator growing up. I wanted to work for Walt Disney, in the worst way. So I even, you know, I, 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 that's a little part of my kind of. I think where I come from is those, those amazing Disney cartoons of the early days, the, the animated features. Um, but I moved when I moved to New York. I, I Michael Murphy. Um, was directing, uh, an off-Broadway play. I did the set for it. And oddly Mike knew Diane Keaton. He knew, um, he knew Robert Altman. He knew Woody Allen. He had, he had worked with those people and they all came to see that little play. And ultimately years later, I, uh, I, you know, I ended up working with all those people and Diane and I met when I moved to New York, um, and it was right before Annie Hall came out, we became best friends and, and remain so really? to this day. Yeah. I'm so such a she, fan
1: of hers. I'm oh, such God, a me fan too.
4: I mean, it's, I've known her all these years, and I'm still a huge fan. Um, and whenever I go out to L.A., I stay with Diane. You know, she's right around the corner from the project I'm working on for Ryan Murphy.
1: So, so when you work with some of these Hollywood icons on their homes, sometimes you've forwards the personal relationship with them. That's you do almost in
4: inevitably, yeah. Uh, with Here's the
1: Altman's your personal, your always yeah,
4: it, personal. It, 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 it is well because you're you're you know you're sort of invading their personal living space and helping them you know reimagine it if if that's what you're doing and um, and I think it's a long process. It can take a year or two years sometimes to realize these things if there's architectural work involved and and so you you know you you begin to know that person and and if you hit it off it's lovely i used to travel around on occasion and and go visit the altmans when they were filming somewhere you know on location so those were great you know great fond memories and um you know and i I dined with them and they were just lovely lovely people um and it was a whole, you know, you were meeting all these kind of actors. You'd meet Richard Gere one day, you know, or it was sort of like every time you turn around, there was some new star, and you were kind of going, you just awestruck all the all the time. Well,
2: that's kind so of I, like
1: a bonus to what you do because, in addition to being so talented and doing work that you love and pass and you're passionate and great at it, you also get to forge some great relationships with people that you might've never met. And I find that in the real estate business, which obviously I am in um, because it's their home. It becomes very personal. And so you Mm -hmm. really get to know people where if it's strictly a business deal or maybe a commercial property, it's really about numbers and things of that nature. But when it's somebody's home and they're going to live in it, it's personal and you get to know people in a much more personal way. And Absolutely. I've had that same experience of really meeting some great people um and getting to know them and keeping relationships with them. Um, I think that's incredible now, where can people find out you know more about your work?
4: Oh well um I have a website' stephenshaley dot com um you know I have an instagram account um uh, that people follow and um and then, you know, you, you can check out, if you use my name and search on the Architectural Digest website, um, you can see some of the the, the stories on um, residences that I, I've designed. Um, what, what I really love about working today is that I've been much more uh, involved in architectural work. And, you know, Ryan Murphy, bless his soul, has given me the opportunity to actually design something from the ground up for him. Uh, and I'm not an architect. I'm not, yeah, I never well, studied you, architecture. You,
1: you mentioned Ryan Murphy. What can you divulge about your work with him on his, on this home so far? Anything that we can know? Oh, well,
4: just it's, it's a, it's a, well, I, I designed a home that was published in architectural digest a uh, year before last. Um, and it was, you know, it was he had lived in one of Diane Keaton's former homes and so that's, that's why he called me and why he came to me. And he had bought a property that he was, you know, wanted to renovate. And it, it was a major renovation, but it was not a vintage, um, Spanish home. It was sort of a later attempt to make it look that way, you know, almost like a McMansion style Spanish home. But, and Ryan wanted it to be very, you know, pared down. So I think what I was able to bring to that project was uh, a sense of, of just making it sort of in between sort of a modernist take on Spanish colonial without, uh, you know, trying to emulate everything that was done in the 1930s and forties. Um, and you loved that.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I can tell, I mean, look, I, first of all, it's great speaking to you. You are, uh, an icon, number one. So I am thrilled to have really spoken to you in person. And I, besides being great, I can feel your passion. You know, I just can feel it or, you know, I just feel it in you. And I always say that besides from being talented, if you're going to be great at something, you really have to be passionate about it too, I think. And Oh God, yes, yes. I agree. Your passion Absolutely. comes out <laughs> all over the place. I, I love talking to you. And again, if anybody wants to find out more, they can just find Stephen, sadly, on Instagram. You can, you, you can look him up. You can Google him. And I hope you'll come on again. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I hope you have a great weekend.
4: Anytime. And thank, thank you so you. much. Okay. Thank
1: you, Stephen. Have a wonderful weekend. And thanks, everybody, for listening to another session of I on Real Estate. We'll be back next week. I love you guys. I love doing the show. And I love the guests that we have on. Have a great weekend.
0: The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Portions of Eye on Real Estate sponsored by Hemp Leaf. We won't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body.